Good morning. Uh, let us continue to worship as we turn to the passage uh, before us this morning. Uh, it's taken from Ephesians in the New Testament. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 24. Either follow along on the screen or, or in your Bibles. This is God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask now that that you would uh, show yourself to us, that you would show us Christ, uh, give us your spirit, that we may understand, that we might uh, apply rightly, uh, and Father, may uh, my words truly uh, be your words. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we are concluding our look this morning at the book of Ephesians. And in summary, we ask the question, uh, why was Paul writing to the Ephesian church and uh, more than likely uh, writing to other uh, churches uh, at the time? Uh, Well, as we've been looking at in in our series up to this point, uh, to to say briefly, Paul has been talking about the mystery of the church, uh, this new community established and forged in Christ. And as part of this, this new church, this new community in Christ, we are to walk in, in unity, to walk in love, to walk in holiness. Uh, we serve each other in this community. We serve God. And uh, amazingly, we have a foretaste here and now of eternity, uh, of the new heavens and, and the new earth, uh, when there will be that consummation of Uh, of the expression of God's love and and, and God's rule. Uh, So we bring to an end today 
uh, our walk in, in this book of Ephesians. Uh, so three things this morning as we uh, look at the passage before us. Uh, the first of which is that Satan's power is real. Satan, or the devil, stands for everything that is evil and deceitful and that is contrary to God. Now, compare this with uh, sometimes how we think of of Satan. Uh, You know, we almost have these thoughts of him as some kind of cartoonish uh, figure with horns who's who's simply waiting for the next crop of of torture victims, you know, to come into his domain. but the fact is, Satan is the active enemy of God, and Christians, our enemy as well. Satan commands an army, uh, a host of inferior spirits or demons, as they're often referred to as, uh, who do his work and do his bidding. Satan's goal is to disrupt our lives, to derail us, to bring destruction to our lives however he can. Ultimately, uh, Satan's goal is to frustrate and try to destroy God's redemptive purposes. Uh, You see in verse 11 that Paul writes uh, of the schemes of the devil. Uh, Now, we think of of Satan and and his activity, uh, and in 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says there that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So, He's described in these kinds of ways, just attacking and aggressive and uh, overt and in your face. But Satan also disguises himself as an angel of light, thus working in more uh, subtle ways. Uh, One of these ways in which he seeks to lead us into error when it comes to doctrine, sometimes through false teachers. Uh, John Stott uh, puts it this way, uh, when we think of, of Satan and his, his demons and their wicked work, he says, they have no moral principles, they have no code, code of honor, no higher feelings. Uh, they don't play by uh, any set of, of rules or Geneva Convention. So we consider these things, and it demonstrates to us that our battle as Christians is a spiritual one. Now, we must let this truth sink into our lives. Uh, After all, sometimes we're too focused on the things that are right in front of us, uh, the things that we can only see with our physical eyes. But Paul, in this passage, teaches us this valuable truth in verse 12, where he writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. So I asked this morning, what are the ways that we neglect the spiritual battle and wrestle instead against flesh and blood or against human beings? Well, one way is when we as Christians believe that our primary enemy, our primary fight is a political one, where we lament that our guy is not sitting in the office of the president or in national or local government positions. I believe another way uh, that we wrestle against flesh and blood is when we proclaim a culture war against non-Christians or those who do not agree with us or believe what we do. Yes, we are always to stand for God's truth, but ultimately, those not united to Christ are in spiritual darkness. 
They're in bondage to a ruler who is not God, but rather Satan. And they need to hear the good news. They need to be transformed from darkness into the kingdom of light. And flesh and blood to our detriment when we ignore the various temptations that Satan can use to bring us down into sin or to deter us from serving God or to simply make us lazy in obeying God's commands. Uh, I think back to a time when I was in, in college and uh, at my previous church, I uh, worked as a youth intern for a couple summers under uh, our youth pastor at the time. And uh, one of the things that he had asked us to do, me and the other youth intern, was to you know, try to find a, a few of the kids that were um, not really regular attenders in the youth ministry. And, and the idea was to try to get them you know, more involved in the youth ministry. So we had planned uh, an outing for a day to an amusement park. And when the day came, the youth pastor said, okay, so great, who did, who did you get? And, and I told him, and uh, basically I had flat out did not do what he had asked me to do. You know, I had asked uh, one of his sons, one of the youth pastor's sons, and then a couple of my friends to come along. And when he heard that, he said, no, absolutely not, you're not going. And, uh, you know, when I heard that, I, I flipped out. I ended up, you know, walking, walking out, walking away from the job. And... It was a very tenuous situation. Now, God in his grace ended up, you know, bringing us together and we were able to reconcile. You know, we were able to talk through the situation and also God in his grace, you know, showed me my own fault, showed me my own selfishness and my own sin. So I look back at that episode and yes, I see the human elements in it as it was, as was playing out. But I also believe that Satan was at work and he was trying to, you know, put the, the youth ministry into jeopardy, you know, in, in that summer and, you know, trying to disrupt, you know, the ministry that was going on there, trying to, to sow these little seeds of discord, you know, between the relationship that I had with, with the youth pastor and also with the kids that I had promised uh, to serve so we should be aware that Satan will use any situation that he can to try to do his wicked work. Uh, I like how Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. He says, quote, I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have become so psychological in our attitude and thinking. We are ignorant of this great objective fact, the being the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts, unquote. Now, certainly, if Dr. Lloyd-Jones was standing here right now, uh, he would not say that, that we should blame the devil, you know, for all of our sin. Uh, after all, how, how do those famous words go, right? Oh, the devil made me do it. Um, but I think his point is, is a needed one, that yes, we need to be accountable for our own sin, but in some way, behind every sin, behind every evil, behind every act of wickedness, the devil is in some way involved because that's who he is. However, we take comfort in this truth that though Satan is powerful, he cannot do anything to us to wrest us away from the arms of Jesus. Romans eight thirty-eight and 39 speaks to this where it says that nothing can separate us from the love 
of God in Christ. No spiritual power, no principality, no wickedness, nothing can separate us. So brothers and sisters, we must believe that God is the truly powerful one. God is sovereign over Satan's power. And we look at the story of Job to see this. At the beginning of this story in Job, we are told of this uh, dialogue that is going on between God and the devil. A dialogue that Job was not aware of, in which Satan was only able to afflict Job and, and test him according to what God allowed. It's also true that Satan is a wounded enemy who is operating on borrowed time. It was at the cross that Jesus Christ defeated the powers of Satan and evil and death. Amen? So while this final defeat of Satan awaits, Paul here wants us to embrace this spiritual battle that, that wages. So the question comes up is, how are we to go into this battle? And that brings us to the second thing this morning, and that is that we are to put on God's whole armor. It is an armor that is whole. It is complete, lacking nothing. More importantly, it is of God. And what is of God is fully able to equip us, to protect us, and to save us. We fight this spiritual battle not in our individual strength, but in the strength of his might, as you see in verse 10. Uh, we are to be strong in the Lord, or to put it another way, to be strengthened by him. Ephesians 1.19 uh, tells us of the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. It is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that same power that is at work in us. Isn't that an amazing thought? And it's necessary that we put on this armor of God so that we can fight effectively. Uh, look at verse 11. Paul says there, or writes there, that, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil as we put on this armor. And then in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. If we go back to the Old Testament, it was God himself who, who put on this armor uh, to be the divine warrior for his people. Listen to the words taken from Isaiah 59, 17. It says there, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So it is now in this, this new age, this, this church age, that God gives us this armor to put on. Isn't that amazing? So as we look at this armor and the way that Paul goes about describing it, you know, he gives us the picture of, uh, of a Roman soldier of the day uh, to help really um, illustrate for us you know, how, we, how we go about with this armor, you know, spiritually speaking, and fight this spiritual battle. So the first piece of armor is the belt of truth. So for the Roman soldier, a belt uh, held things firm in place and, and carried his sword. Uh, a Bible expression is, is gird up your loins or gird up your waist, referring to a belt. So a belt for the soldier in that time and for us spiritually 
uh, readies us for action. Uh, I think of a time when uh, I forgot my belt, you know, when I went to work, and I was wearing something like what I have on today, and I just remember that whole day just, you know, just not feeling prepared, um, not feeling confident, you know, feeling kind of exposed, like just something was was missing. Um, So in that same kind of way, that's how the belt of, of truth acts for us. Now, some take truth here to be doctrine, God's revelation that Jesus came to be the God-man, to save man from his sins. While others describe this truth as an integrity that we are to possess in this battle, day in and day out, a genuineness, an honesty that should mark our lives. After all, friends, we are not to get caught up in the devil's games his schemes, you know, walking in deceit and scheming ourselves. We're not to play his game. And I think we do well to to see truth in both of those ways, that it is doctrine, but it is also uh, an inward integrity that we are to walk with. The next piece of armor we see is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate offered protection for the soldier, And it is we as Christians who are covered in the righteousness of Christ, protected against true spiritual harm that the devil would bring our way. After all, the devil is the accuser. And in Romans 8.33, Paul raises this question, who shall bring a charge against the elect of God? Who shall accuse God's people? The answer is, is no one, that Satan can't truly accuse us because we are in Christ. And we are also to walk righteously, being men and women and children of of high character, worthy of the calling that we have in Christ, our lives being modeled after the life of Christ. Well, we also have shoes as part of this spiritual armor. So the Roman soldiers' shoes, or, or half boots as they're called, allowed for firm footing in battle as he engaged in hand-to-hand combat. They were also designed for long marches so the soldier could be ready to go and, and to move. So as Christ followers, we, we are to have this, this readiness to go, to speak, and to act, a, a readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace, not running away from the battle, but in the midst of the spiritual battle. We also see a, a shield of faith. And for the Roman soldier, the shield was, was huge. Uh, you know, it basically covered his whole body. And it was made up of, of wood planks, and it was covered and trimmed with, with metal. And oftentimes, it was dipped in water to extinguish the fiery arrows from the enemy. And historians also describe these arrows as sometimes being seven feet long. And, you know, these things were, were huge as well. So the shield of faith gives us protection from Satan that we may put out his flaming darts and resist him. Once again, Satan will use every form of temptation to try to disrupt us, to try to derail us. So it is a a matter of reminding ourselves whose we are, who we belong to, not to live in self-confidence, but to rely on God in all circumstances even the most painful ones, even the most difficult and trying ones. 
It's faith not in ourselves, but always fixed on Jesus. And that's what faith does. Christian faith looks outside of ourselves to another, to Jesus, who is the author of our faith and who has overcome the world. Well, we also see the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And we think of helmets used uh, in various things to offer further protection, and that's what the helmet of salvation does. And it reminds us that the salvation that God has won for us in Christ, the salvation that he has begun, that he will complete it. The sword of the Spirit. The Roman soldier's sword was, was short, and it was meant for hand-to-hand combat, you know, in close quarters in battle. Hear the words from Hebrews 4.12. It says there, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. Friends, there is power in God's word. And we think of, uh, of God's word and we think of it being the, this sword that we are to carry. And there's two ways that this sword is used. One way is offensively. So we use God's word in battle as this sword to, to bring light into a world that is full of, of darkness. It is all around us. But then also we use it defensively. We think of Jesus in the wilderness uh, as he was being tempted by the devil himself. And what did Jesus do but use God's word to resist the devil? And we are to do the same. In James 4, 7, James tells us to resist the devil and he will flee. These are instructions for us. This is supposed to be practice for us as we fight this battle. Well, that brings us to the third thing this morning, and not unrelated to the spiritual battle, and that is that we are to be prayer warriors. Prayer is needed to be effective in this spiritual battle. And if you look at verse 18, Paul instructs us there to pray at all times. Uh, Now, we can attest to, I think, how bad we are at doing this. (laughs) You know, can we not? And, you know, we think of prayer, and I think it's, it's right to think of it in, in practical terms sometimes. You know, sometimes life dictates that we're not always able to spend, you know, long stretches of, of, of prayer in solitude and, and, and in silence. There are times when we are to do that, but other times during the day, uh, you know, a few words that we utter to God suffice as prayer. Sometimes just the words, God help me, God be with me, are prayers that can be used in powerful ways. And we are to be encouraged that when we pray, we don't do so alone. Hear the words of Romans 8.26, where it says there, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul also Uh, ties in a spiritual alertness that we are to have with prayer. And we all know the consequences that can come when we are not alert in everyday situations, right? You you think of of driving our cars. We think of, you know, walking downtown. We think of watching our children 
Um, whatever it is, we know that if we're not alert, what things can happen if we're not? Jesus commands us in Mark thirteen thirty three to be on our guard, to be awake in anticipation of when he will return. So are we on guard? Are we alert? Are we watching for Jesus to return? Well, Paul also, in, in speaking of prayer in verse 18, says that we are to make supplication for all the saints. So another question that, that I put to us this morning is, is we have, or do we have this large-scale view of prayer? We sometimes tend to focus our prayers only on ourselves or our families or those close to us. Now, that is not wrong. We are to do this. This is a part of our prayer lives. But we should expand our horizons and think of pastors. Think of our pastor. Think of pastors all over the world. Think of missionaries. Think of those who are facing intense persecution and lift up these men and women to God in prayer. Now certainly prayer is this mysterious thing that we don't know how it works uh, in full, but in beautiful and amazing ways, God uses our prayers to accomplish his ends. And Paul alluded to this as he asked for prayer for himself, that he would be bold in proclaiming this mystery of the gospel. After all, he was writing imprisoned, and his prayer was specifically for him in that situation, not necessarily to take him out of that situation, but for grace as he would proclaim the gospel where he was and who he was with. The mystery of the gospel It was in the fullness of time that God, in his grace, made salvation known to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews, that salvation would come to the whole world. And that's what heaven is going to be like. I mean, it's going to be every language. It's going to be every people, every tribe. It's going to be an amazing sight. The gospel or the good news that God provided a way for us to be made right with him, to be forgiven of our sin in our guilt, in our corruption. That God would do this by sending his son to live perfectly, to suffer, to die, and to rise again from the dead. And it was at the cross that Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world, that crushing weight, the full wrath of God towards sin that you and I deserve. And by confessing that Jesus is Savior and that no one else is or nothing else is, by coming to him in faith, we are saved and we are given eternal life and brought into this new community. And even when we do run after and worship other things, other people, God in his grace continues to love us and continues to pursue us. Let us praise God for his abounding grace. Let's pray.